Good Day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. I want to thank our podcasting partner and co-host, Patrick from Polstring Press for this great studio. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Mike. Patrick, we have guests from the southern part of the 805 with us so today. Yes, <laughs> it, it, it makes the show even better yeah. when we have guests. And they're actually friends of uh, Greg Van Ness, oh, nice. uh, Ed Tolman and Weicker. Yeah, and uh, we love Greg and he always makes great suggestions. So we have uh, Carolyn and Jim, Carolyn, uh, last name. Burns. And Jim O'Neill, who are the co-founders of the Rubicon Theater down in Ventura, which I, I love that place. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. So your, so your partners in uh, in the theater and partners at home and married thirty two years. Thirty two years. What's in the secret? October. I want to know what the secret is. <laughs> <laughs> this our show will be over quick. Uh, so I, <laughs> it's probably and, and there's a, there's yeah. like a pause, a long pause. <laughs> uh, get past the first ten, I suppose, and uh, things get easier. You know, okay. because you, you, it takes that long really to learn about another person in a deep way. And, and then, you know, you, you're more open, you're more forgiving, you are more accepting of the differences and, and then you are able to continue on in a way that uh, is challenging at first, you know. S- so let's apply that now to working together because I, I work with my wife and we have a couple of different businesses together mm-hmm. and, and everyone advises against that. You hear that a lot. Did you hear that a lot when you... No. Well, we worked together first. And um, so I think we, you know, we had sort of ground rules from working together. Well, what were those? Because uh, uh, we have those too. So it's cool yeah. to hear that. What are, what are the ground rules? Yeah, well, I think um, there was an early time period where we, we didn't really, um, as when we went from working together to being, you know, life partners where we, where we limited how much we talked about things at home and um, from work. So I, I think uh, that just, uh, I think, sort of lessened the intensity of it at the beginning. But um, really, I think we just are great friends, too. And mm-hmm. I think so we started as friends, as co-workers. Yep, yep. And you, you have those sort of boundaries and the respect that you have as co-workers um, that we carried into the marriage. And then those boundaries change. But, um, but we've think, always respected each I other. I think also that we started out with a, a similar sensibility of, about the work that we're doing and what we valued in it. And that uh, was important because, of course, things change and you change and your perception of what's good and what's not changes and all of that. But we started out with, with something in common and then we grew together in it. Uh, to the point where now we go to a show uh, and we tend to have the same, come out with the same opinions without even talking about it. Uh, and um, 
So we've grown together yeah. in, in the art and, and with each other. And we, we very rarely um, have disagreements, I would say. Whereas I, maybe what Jim was talking about in the first 10 years of marriage, there is that sort of, you know, just clash of, of wills and, you know, all of those things um, and ideas. But we, we very rarely have disagreements and and we do work them through we don't it's you know it's i know it's said a lot but we don't really let the sun go down on anger right, ever. Uh, yeah exactly or we agree to disagree and that's okay i mean it's uh, you know it still happens and um it's easier to back away if that's uh what your role in that moment is supposed to be than it might have been earlier on um and you figure that out and and it's okay life is uh it's a big thing and it, one thing doesn't have to be right in know? improv we <clears throat> we call that chivalry uh. <laughs> right yeah so it, it's it, you don't have to win this you're not mm -hmm. having this argument arguments are not fun to watch on mm -hmm. stage mm -hmm. we don't like that it's not it, so be chivalrous and mm -hmm. let them win i like that uh, word uh, our our ground rule we just have one mm -hmm. best idea wins oh that's great that's great i right. think we feel that way definitely yeah, and 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 we've also grown up in the in the art that way to, you know, not be so, uh, not hold on so much to, uh, be more open to the best idea in the room. Um, right, it's that's an art yes about and, collaboration. It's a yes and. Yeah. Right. It's just right. Uh, yes. affirm that thing and mm -hmm. uh, and then add something to it and co-create something of value yeah. together, which is. What I, I love about I'm 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 thrilled that you're also your partners at work and partner life partners because we don't have that many in the in the show. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I also produce TEDx Santa Barbara. Oh great! We think there's only four couple partners hmm. uh, out of 3,800 TEDxes. Wow! Hmm. Uh, that that work that way, and, and it's as you know, running a business is more than full time. It's full life, mm -hmm. you know, and so. You know, when you come home from a really busy time, and in your case, it's at midnight, right, yeah. after the show. Right. Like, so how was your day, honey? Oh, I'm tired. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but if you shared that day with them, you know. There's no need. In my mind, there isn't anything better. But I'm, yeah. we're in a minority, you know, where we, mm -hmm. where we work together. Tell me, um, you, so you worked together, and then the, the Rubicon's been around 20 years. Is mm -hmm. that right? Right. Congratulations. Is that this 2017 yeah, this is our, was your 20th? It's, um, we're coming up on it. Actually, it's oh. in the fall of 2018 will be the 20th, but it's the 20th season. Uh, has course, just started. You're going to milk that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to get as yes. much as I can out of that, yeah. right? Because you can only do the 20th for 12 months. <laughs> right. And then, you know, so we are beginning that, yes. Well, congratulations yeah. on that as well. Uh, so the 10 years or uh, 12 years prior to that, what were you doing together? How did um, you met each other at work? So what were you doing? Acting, directing, uh, producing, uh, marketing, yeah, Jim was the associate producer of Santa Barbara Theater Group. When I met him, I auditioned for him. Uh, I came to the auditions and asked uh, if there were equity contracts because I had someone who had driven me and um, an older friend, and I didn't want to keep him waiting if there weren't equity contracts. So I asked to speak to a producer, and it was Jim. And then he walked me around to the auditions and um, and proposed the next week. <laughs> what? <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> the There's week. always a he said, she said in that. Uh, 
I don't think it was quite the next week, but it was pretty pretty soon. You, yeah. When you know, you know. Yeah. Right. You know, we you know, with Ted, it's the red circle. Right. So mm -hmm. so we talk about the road to the red circle and beyond the red circle. Mm -hmm. And I've got a show called Hacking the Red Circle. So for mm -hmm. us, the stage is really embodied in that circle. Mm -hmm. And she's in charge of everything in the circle because mm -hmm. she's a speaker. So she's the mm -hmm. actor. She's the mm -hmm. content, the, all of that. And I'm ev literally everything outside the circle. So the executive mm -hmm. producer and all that other stuff that you have to have. Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, I'm seeing this this uh, teamwork between the two mm -hmm. of you to get that. And you're, you both could probably step into the other role extremely easily because you've just been around it. But where your superpowers lie, mm -hmm. right, and where you can rely on each other, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, you know, over time you realize who is uh, stronger at certain things and um, and then you go with that and you back away or you uh, step up, you know, in that way. And and uh, but you're right that, you know, we we share it all, but we know what our strengths are and right. what our right. weaknesses are. And 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 we have tended over the years to find out you know, exactly where we fit with each other. Mm -hmm. You had said earlier, you talked about, when we were talking about the ground rules and it, and you, you were touching on this idea of shared values, right? Core values are mm -hmm. things that don't change, right? That, you know, the, the skills change, our aptitude, what we tend to like, dislike, that's, uh, that's seasonal, mm -hmm. right? That, that it does that. that is. Um, we were coached when we first, when Kimberly and I first got together, uh, two things. One was owner's desire. What did your day look like? He said, do this little exercise. You get up. Okay, what time is it? Mm. What are you doing? Then what do you do? Then what do you do? Then you, you could create your magical day. Uh -huh. What is that day? Hmm. Right? Don't let work define that. Uh -huh. Like you define it. You're in the position now. You're creating a business. Right. So that was owner's desire. <laughs> then the next thing was he, our, our buddy, Eric, saw that we were... <clears throat> kind of dancing in each other's area. Mm -hmm. We're not staying in our own lane, mm -hmm. right? And which is confusing to the people around you because hmm. they're not sure which one of you do I go to. Mm -hmm. So he then said, just make a list of all the stuff that has to get done. And then you get to decide, well, I'm really better at that. I, I know how to do that thing, but you have an affinity towards it or you're better at it or yeah and then and then later if it's that evening or you know and we're talking to each other we are talking to each other about what happened that day or what happened that week or whatever it is you know you do offer your opinion because you do have some expertise in the other person's and and sometimes that's very helpful because the other person is closer and can't right. quite see and you know, you, you, oh yeah, I should, that's great. But then you, you're the one that ends up being the front person still, and it works better that way. Well, the, the one and one don't equal two in this situation. Right. Right. Because right. you, you are not a, a unbiased source. You're an informed mm -hmm. bias source, right. Mm -hmm. uh, that can, can absolutely make a difference in that. I, but I, again, I've got a uh, hundred things to ask about that, but I want to get into the the business of show business, mm -hmm. right? You're you're in this wonderful community in Ventura. So we have listeners in 42 countries. So, oh my! So in just think, listener of the most beautiful seaside community in Ventura, California, mm -hmm. 
and you've got a main street, and you've got this beautiful theater there that um, has got a whole community around it, right? Mm-hmm. It does. It does. The Ventura community and really the the larger Southern California community has really embraced the theater. And we're a fully professional theater, but are definitely community-based. We have nearly 300 volunteers that participate, which isn't always the case with a professional theater. So they work in the box office. They make meals for actors between shows. They pick them up at the airport. They help with artist housing. So it is this very um, intense community experience, and it's partly what brings the actors back again and again is that they feel uh, like they are really a part of a community and the theater itself is so intimate too it's 185 seats it's a historic church so there's also this great intimacy in the experience so we you know have had stars from stage and screen and you might see them in a 3000 seat house but here in this very intimate house the audience and the actors have this very palpable exchange i think and Jim always says that the um, you know the audience is the final character in the play, and I th- just think there is this very real and tangible exchange that happens in this sacred space in this wonderful community. There's something about the space itself too that, <clears throat> and maybe it is just that it's intimate. Uh, maybe it's the shape of it. I I have never really tried to know for sure but i i had um oh early on and then in the middle of our 20 years a couple of people that i respect um uh scenic designers mostly come in and say well no no you know if you had the money to change it around and you put the seats over here and you put the stage over here and you do all these things and i always hesitated because something magical happens, and mm-hmm. I don't know why for sure. Mm. I don't know all that goes into that. And if you change it, maybe some of it goes away. So uh, you're superstitious. I don't think it's superstition. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's experience uh, mm. of the space, and I don't want to do anything to, you know. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, yeah. I guess, right. you know. <laughs> right. The, interestingly, we primarily produce, you know, 99% of the time we're producing, but there was an instance early on where we were presenting a show that had been at a theater um, south of us in Ventura County right before it came to us. And I had this experience almost nightly. People would come up and say, we just saw this show uh, and in this other space, and yours is so much better. And it would make me laugh because it was exactly the same show. It was just the space. Right. You know, was different. I want to follow up on what you said with the audience as the final character in the play. We I've already talked about Ted a lot, so it's a big yeah. part of what I do. And uh, coaching people to step into the circle mm-hmm. is a huge part of what we do. Hmm. We actually uh, rent uh, the, the Plaza Playhouse in Carpinteria because it's uh-huh. close because we want them to literally stand in the circle mm-hmm. and look at you know an audience to get over that fear, yeah. right? That's a, the mm-hmm. big deal. Yeah. Um, and then it's funny to say, is this the red circle? <laughs> yeah, this is the one. I mean, think about all the ideas that were launched, and, and mm-hmm. someone has actually written a little mythology about that so mm-hmm. that they just know wherein you are. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you said sacred space. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is an important launch pad mm-hmm. for you. 
I want to ask you this this notion that the the audience because you're not talking to them but energetically they're a part of the conversation we try to tell people about that and so now now knowing that the person listening is probably a business person mm-hmm. entrepreneur and the business of the arts is really important to us tell them about how to read an audience and how important an audience is because that might be their they're they're doing a pitch anytime you're we call it high stakes short form talks mm-hmm. right you know that mm-hmm. play mm-hmm. is it's a high it's, I got one chance mm-hmm. where this this audience might be the first time they've come to the theater and I want them to have a fantastic experience from parking the car <laughs> to getting snacks to, to everything mm-hmm. how how do you read that audience how do you I'd say um, it, there's a part of it that's a little unexplainable and mystical, but you you learn it over time, and it's hard to define. It's listening for certain, but it's not just listening for sounds. It's listening with your whole being. I think they're they're not with us. I think they're not with me. Should I speak a little faster? Should I speak a little slower? Should we land this joke a little better? Whatever that means, <clears throat> depending on the play. And, it, and, and you're just constantly, your antenna is up for uh, what is coming back to you. Sometimes it's not audible. You know, sometimes you watch them lean in, you watch them lean in or you out of the corner of your eye, you know, someone is a little bored or or they're completely there or, you know, you're on track or, you know, you just have a sense and it develops over time. Um, And I think it's just opening yourself up in all ways with all your senses, of course, your eyes, your ears, whatever it is but also developing a sort of sixth sense of, you know, you can feel an audience, how they all, t- and it's not just an individual, you know, some. There's a moment there's when a, everything. There's a shoot. moment where every audience becomes one. Mm. And you can feel that too. Sometimes it's right at the beginning and sometimes it takes a little while, you know. I don't know how to explain it. I'd, I'd add to that, too, it's because, you know, you're talking about the antenna and it's different with a play than it is um, in public speaking because you can adjust even what you say in public speaking, but you have a script and a character. That's just going to be a follow up. Yes. Yeah, so the um, so although this may sound like it's a contradiction to what's just being said, it's not. They both have to live together. I sometimes find that it is that I'm listening too much to the audience uh, and that the more you enter into the world of the play and the character and what the character's wants and needs are and the deeper you go into that, then sometimes the audience follows you. So it is this delicate balance in the theater between there is this antenna and the, the part of you that is standing outside and monitoring how the performance is going and am I standing in the right place? We say turning your watcher on. I got a little camera on me, right? Right, yes. Right. So, but in the theater, I think uh, the greater success is often when you are so completely engaged in the character and committed 
that the audience is riveted by that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's different, I think, than in public speaking. I, I don't do a lot of public speaking, but the times that I've done it, what I found is most important in um, reaching an audience is finding uh, a personal way or a personal metaphor or a personal story that you connect to. And I think when you connect to that um, and there is some emotional or spiritual connection that the audience does as well. So, but you can shift what you say, whereas you can't do that in a play. You're committed to the playwright's uh, words. You're a thousand percent correct. It, the, the personal is universal, right? So if I can tell mm -hmm. a personal story and it can mm -hmm. be vulnerable, you can see yourself or you'll have some experience with yeah. that. Yeah. And in the theater, I think it's living that personal experience. The right. more you live it. I have a, a funny story. I, years ago um, at our theater, I was doing Shirley Valentine, and uh, there was a big older uh, group uh, that had come. And before, and this is a show where she does do direct address to the audience. So I was looking at the audience and really before the play had begun, there were several people that were asleep because it was an older audience and it was warm too, and you know, those things. So it, fortunately I didn't think it was me, but I, I, I became very tentative and quiet and it was almost as though I didn't want to disturb them or wake them up. And I was talking really fast and at intermission, the stage manager said, I, I thought you were from another planet. I have no idea what you said. You spoke so fast and so quietly. And she said, you, you just need to take a breath and tell the story. And so I did that in the second act. And again, there are moments of direct stress. And I looked out and, and no one was asleep. And they were, mm. you know, there were people that were weeping. And, you know, you, you know, it is, it is about telling the story, which all of theater is about, you know, right, but we right. tell our stories, everyone's stories. Right. You know, and they, you know, they feel a part of it, too, if you are committed. What do you think about, um, th there's this notion that you're so present, being present is hugely important, right? You're so mm -hmm. present and tuned in to that energetic flow of w whatever that is, right? You're, and it's at that point, you, it's not about you. You check your ego at the door. And I, that was, that's what I was just about to say. Man, I completely agree that it's both things. You know, it's both uh, intense commitment to the storytelling and having your antenna up at the same time. And what were, what was it you were just saying? It, it, it's that you're so present and that it's not about you. You yeah, check that, yourself. That's the downside, potential downside of the commitment aspect for yourself. If you make it, you can, about you in that way and not about the story and not about the character and not about... <coughs> uh, the actions of the character, but about in some way going into yourself, then you're going to lose them for a different reason. Exactly. So, no, it's it that and I think there's more overlap between what you do in the public speaking world than mm -hmm. I, I think there's a phenomenal amount. I mean, we do improv training twice a week, and I don't ever want to. I mean, we're on stage in our little troupe here, but that's not. I'm doing it to improve my communication skills, my listening skills, my ability yeah. to coach and yeah. be present. And it's phenomenally helped our podcasting. It's just because I, I, the, the give is, okay, I've got a couple here from, they run a theater. That's my give. Okay. Let's, can we turn that into 45 minutes? Oh, heck, we probably turn it into four hours. <laughs> right. Right. So it's, um, so th 
Where the question I had was around memorization, because as you said, your the script is fixed. That's what we're going to be talking about, mm-hmm. and I can't change that. In public speaking, you say, "Well, I could change that." But you actually probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I would I would argue that once you have that so ingrained in you, in the fabric of who you are, then you can get everything away. Don't think. Step into the light and. Mm-hmm. And then, then you're actually having a conversation with the audience. Right. There's um, in acting school, a teacher talked about acting being a little bit like you know sailing. That you oh. you plot your course. You uh, you know you know where the water is going to be rough and where it's going to be smooth. And uh, but every time you sail, the wind's a little different. And yeah. so. You know, it's it's that the rehearsal is sort of the planning. But I always liked that analogy that, you know, the parts of it that are fixed and the part of it that is kind of uh, the thrill or the adrenaline that happens when you're sailing. The thing that about public speaking, because we do some of that, too, um, naturally, just as part of what we have to do to keep the theater going. Um, Speaking to donors or speaking to a group of subscribers or people who are about to learn about the new season or those kinds of events, um, I find that if I'm open enough, the script itself doesn't change. I mean, the words may change slightly, you know, um, in an improvisational way. But if I leave myself open enough, a lot of times for me, a joke occurs. Mm. Oh, I could say that and get a laugh and still make the same point. Right. And I, I very rarely edit myself uh, in those moments. And, you know, maybe 5% of the time it falls flat. But, you know, usually if you're open to it, um, uh, it works. Um, and if you give over to it, it works. Uh, it's not that you're going off script. It's that something else, some other way of expressing it occurred to you that might be of value. Had you written a joke because someone said you have to open with a joke, it's always going to fall. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It, it, right. If, it's, if, it, if it comes to you in a moment and you think, well, <clears throat> it, it's appropriate and, uh, and I think it's funny, go, you know? Yeah, and, and, and own it. And own it. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Let's talk about the business of this <coughs> a bit because you're a nonprofit, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. We are. Yeah. And that's because you want to get funding arts funding and all of those yeah, kinds of things. It's um, also about mission, I think, too. You know, the idea of a nonprofit is that what you do in yours to the public good. And I think that weighs heavily into the decision making about programming, about, you know, how we spend our resources. So it's it's because of mission, too. What's what after all of these years? So we're embarking on the 20th season. Mm-hmm. Are there any surprises left for you? Oh, I think so many. I think uh, I, you know, we sometimes joke that if we'd started the company uh, at an earlier juncture in our lives, we we wouldn't have been prepared or wouldn't have known what to do. And if we'd started it any later, we would have been too tired. But it's, you know, we didn't really know what we were getting into. And it's full of surprises. Um, We both had worked in the arts, but in the for-profit world. And in the nonprofit world, there are a huge number of things that are 
beyond or outside of your control. And um, almost on a daily basis, it's full of Give surprises. Give me an example of uh, Oh, well, um, the, on the business side, uh, just that you uh, simply that you might have pledges that um, change because there are hundreds of people who make commitments to the theater, but their lives are fluid and may change. And so you may be expecting something to happen at a certain time that changes. Um, you may be relying on someone very heavily to accomplish a task um, that doesn't get done. So those are the kind of downsides of it. Um, the positive side I was talking about, actually, it's the person who brought the improv troupe in on New Year's Eve. Yesterday, I walked into the theater and he was painting the kitchen. And he just thought it needed to be done, completely selflessly doing it. Um, just did it. Yeah. And there are um, there are miracles. There are moments where somebody steps into the building at uh, – there was one time when we had tile that was um, on a set that broke as it was being transferred. And a, a man who did tile walked into the theater and said, I just had this feeling I was supposed to come down and volunteer my time. And I said, what do you do? And he said, well, I, I lay tile. <laughs> like, come with me. But there are, there are those sort of happy surprises and the miracles of community, people with different, of different religious beliefs and backgrounds and ages and, and interests uh, working together in a common cause and feeling a sense of shared accomplishment and becoming friends. You know, seeing those barriers break down is a lovely part of, uh, you know, this work and this job. So that's unexpected often and happens. And then in the art itself, there are, uh, you know, people that you cast sometimes that are, are risks for various reasons. You don't, you haven't seen them do this particular type of thing before um, who suddenly blossom or, um, you know, take you by surprise as you're sitting in the back of the theater and just uh, are, can be moved you look by at, that. You look at each other and go... What just happened? Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, yeah. That happens. That happens a lot. I, I for me, <clears throat> the surprises are less on anymore are less on the surface, uh, if you could say it that way, and more the depth of people's feelings mm. that surprise you. Like Gary coming in and painting. You, we wouldn't have thought. Well, that will happen. But we love this guy, and we've known him for I a long Gary. time. But I love we don't. Gary. Yeah, yeah, Gary yeah. Best. We'll yeah. Gary Best, and and we and we've always loved him, and we don't. But to know that that would happen, at that depth of feeling, I couldn't have predicted that. But you know, will uh, this particular show be as successful as that show uh, in terms of drawing an audience? Those things are you know, fairly predictable after a time, uh, the things that ride on the surface. But the depth of people's feelings uh, that they bring to the process, that's where the surprises come for I'm me. I'm curious, of the 300 volunteers, how many of them have been with you all 20 years? That's a good question, and I don't know that I could answer it. I would say at More least 100. What? I was going to say one. Oh, oh no. no! Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> no! No! Uh, we, we just had. Um, well, Freddie just did the the meal for the actors again. Yeah, a woman and named she Freddie was one of the, uh She was one of the very first. She and, was a founding board member. Yeah. Uh, Barbara and uh, there's so many, 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 many. 
yeah. people that have, are still there and have been there the whole time. Yeah, we've had, um, you know, we have Monday volunteers, Tuesday volunteers in the box office, for example. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we've had people sort of retire as volunteers because they started when they were, you know, 60 and became 80 and said, I'm, <laughs> and, but, and some amazing volunteers, one of those who did it, a woman named Doris Cowart, was, had been volunteering for 20, you know, nearly 20 years in the development office doing filing. She's highly qualified, former nurse, just helping because that was a way she could help, um, you know, but filing and doing just really probably things that she was way overqualified to do. But she not only retired, she found and trained a replacement before she retired as a volunteer. Really an amazing culture. It's something that is very special about uh, Ventura. I always say it's kind of a, a melding of we because we Jim's a third generation Santa Barbaran and we were first married and lived here in Santa Barbara. But it's this melding of uh, Santa Barbara and the Midwest, which is where I'm from. You know, I think there is this Midwestern aspect of people look you in the eye and if they say they're going to do something, they do it and they follow through. And that's really how you build community. So we have all this natural beauty that we have in Santa Barbara and interest in the arts. But we also have that, I sort of find it a Midwestern, maybe volunteer ethic. There's a there's a small town feel, mm-hmm. isn't yeah. there? I mean, I think of Main Street, Ventura. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. you know, it's a cultural hub yeah. of what's going on. Same thing with mm-hmm. Santa Barbara. It's, mm-hmm. you know, 85,000 plus people, yeah. but it's still feels small mm-hmm. you know i think those of us uh, i like to say i escaped the gravitational pull of los angeles <laughs> but i only got this far yeah <laughs> you know yeah. i got i got 75 minutes north which is enough to be on another planet right right In terms yeah of the culture. I, yeah it is enough to feel like it's on another planet but you know um it, it's it's also uh something that draws the artists to us is that we are relatively close. Right. Um, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you have to go down to Orange County to do a show, if you're an actor or a director or whatever, you have to go down there. It may be 10, 15 miles shorter. It'll take you twice as long. Oh, easily. Um, and once people realize, oh, gosh, this is a different world. This is a beach community. This is, you know, uh, it doesn't feel like Los Angeles at all. And yet I'm there in about an hour they with no traffic. They could get home on their off days. You know, to from, from the North Valley, I'm there in less than an hour with no traffic. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a big draw. It's and, a big draw. And that allows you to have a higher level of quality as well. You're not settling, yeah. if it were, right? I yeah. would say... I would say both. You know, I think we also have some local artists that are of a similar, you know, quality as well, whose names you don't know just because they happen to have chosen to live outside of L.A. Yes. But it does. I it absolutely helps the theater and um, and draws a lot of the finest local artists who want to work in concert with those name artists. But we've had Tony Award winners, um, Emmy, Golden Globe, um, Obie. Um, Academy Award winners. Jack Lemmon was on our stage. Tony Franciosa um, early on. So many great people. Larry Hagman, Joe Spano is on our board of directors and is in the current production of A Christmas Carol. Uh, Just so many great actors. And I do think it helps both build audiences and it does help attract 
incredibly talented actors who do stand toe-to-toe with the people that are names but may have made other life choices. Um, so we feel like it's the best of all worlds for us. One of the things uh, in business that we think about is what's our uh, unique competitive advantage? What's our what's mm-hmm. the thing that makes us different than others? Mm-hmm. And which kind of gets into the conversation around competition, mm-hmm. right? Because we're competing for, mm-hmm. for whatever it is, competing for talent, competing for money, competing for funding, mm-hmm. all of that. Where are you in the regional theater? Different question. Let me phrase it different. Is there a community of you who run regional theaters, and is that a collaborative community, or is it a competitive frenemy thing? Because I don't know what that's like. I think definitely collaborative. You know, we're rarely in each other's territories. You know, we're right. so we're not really competing for our audiences, and we may be you know, competing for grant funding occasionally at a national level. But it's very cooperative, very collaborative. And in fact, post-recession, which was a difficult time for many regional theaters, we one of the things that we did was build shows and talk to other regional theaters about taking the shows that we had built and producing them for, uh, and pre- them presenting the show that we had produced. Like we did a show called Daddy Long Legs that played at 15 other regional theaters and played in five countries. For Rubicon, that you authored. Uh, John Caird, who uh, did we, Les we premiered it. And Nicholas Got Nickleby. It. Yeah. So we developed it um, and with a with a Tony Award winning, you know, team creating it, Paul Gordon and John Caird. But we were able to move it around and partner with these other groups. And uh, it became a, a source of ancillary income for us. They were able to present a show at a reduced price that was already a proven hit and had been well-reviewed. So I do think we're constantly, as a group, thinking of ways to um, reshape the model, which is a very difficult model because right. more than half of the money has to come from donations um, and less than half comes from ticket sales. So. Any way that you can um, develop new ways to support it is... uh, Well, every business has to figure that out. And and nonprofits, um, Ron Gallo, who's the CEO of the Santa Barbara Foundation, he said Mm -hmm. the only difference between the profit and the nonprofit organization is a tax ID. Hmm. Right? You still have all the same considerations and concerns. Yeah, I always say that the difference is that the profit isn't money. Mm. Yeah, it's But there's plenty of profit. Yeah. It's just not money. Yeah, you need you need to make enough to stay afloat because mm-hmm. you can't you're not yeah. going to live you're not going to last 20 years mm-hmm. if you're not fiscally no, of course, responsible. Of course, of right? course. You have to have right. that. But, you know, that that tends to break even at the end of the day. Right. Um but the value to the community and and uh to the participants and that that's the profit. Right. No, it exactly. just is Absolutely. not expressed in dollar terms. That's, That's cultural all. capital, um, oh, educational, like you know, capital. We we have very strong education and outreach programs, and the kids that are involved in those, seventy uh, percent of them are on full or partial scholarships, and they may never oh. choose to go into theater. But they learn self-confidence. They learn how to work as a team. They become more disciplined. And there are all those benefits that hopefully they carry with them into life. Tell me about your connection to schools, school system. Oh, we have fantastic education and outreach director, Brian McDonald, who's now been with us for 15 years mm. of those 20. 
And uh, we had an education program from the very beginning. In the first year, we took a 60-minute version of Romeo and Juliet into schools. And we did uh, we did the show, and then the next hour we rotated, and the kids could sign up for, um, you know, scansion and imagery, Shakespeare's world, uh, fencing, you know, just different um, things related to the show. And so from the very beginning, we've had a strong relationship with the schools and the school district in our area. And uh, we do 10 a.m. student matinees. Anytime we do a play that's an American oh. classic or a world classic, uh, we provide study guides ahead of time with suggested exercises. One of my favorite stories is when we did All My Sons and Arthur Miller play. One teacher exercise uh, was that they read the first act of the play, and then the students wrote their own second act, uh, oh. deciding what they thought happened. Oh. And then they didn't know what happened until they came to see the show and found out then what really happened in the play. So that was, a, you know, but there are any number of sure. exercises and that they they do. And how many kids? Forty thousand kids. Forty five now. Forty five thousand have come through. Yeah. yeah. Either in one way or stat. another, either they come to the student matinees or they participate in the um, uh, classes in the summer, and then that always culminates in uh, a show for various age groups. There are usually three shows. Uh, yeah. that ages 6 to 22, broken into different <coughs> age groups. And they, they each of those age groups end up doing a show over a course of six or eight weeks of a summer program. And so, and then the matinees. And so, yeah, but 45,000 mm -hmm. kids in 20 years. Yeah. And 440,000 audience members, too, have come through our little this building. This is the, the, the 20th is the year of stats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That's probably true. Yeah. Right. Because you want to, it's... Um, you know that the, the measurement of those things is is important, yeah. and uh, I, I would, you know, one of the things um, you, you I would think you've already talked about is having the donors big enough donors so you have an endowment, right? So that you've got money that kind of keeps on yeah. giving for you, right? Yeah, we don't we don't have that at this. That's hard. Juncture. That's hard. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, you um, we had really lovely growth. You know, fast growth as an organization um, financially, but had not really set aside something for the rainy day that came with the recession. And after the recession, we uh, had quite a bit of debt because it was also on another anniversary year and it was a big boat to turn. And then it took us, uh, you know, several years to get out of that debt. But the last eight years, we've been in the black. One one year we were a little bit over before audit adjustments and a little bit under afterwards, but have been in the black, but certainly not enough to build an endowment. And one of the challenges we face now, 20 years in, you were asking about the people that are still with us. Well, in the beginning, there were probably eight to 10 larger donors that really invested in the organization. And now, 20 years later, uh, in the last few years, we've lost three really beloved mm. uh, major donors, not only to Rubicon, but to other organizations. And the challenge is you don't see philanthropists of their ilk uh, coming up behind them, or we haven't seen that yet. So we've, you know, we've made budgetary adjustments, and uh, but we are looking for that next generation of people who are willing to invest in the cultural capital. Yeah. I, I think that it's interesting as you go forward, you can't know without experiencing it, but exactly what an amount of time tends to mean. I mean, we think of 
20 years as a big investment on our own part and, and the community's part. But I tell a story, we have a partner in Canada. We've done several shows with the Manitoba Theater Center, now the Royal Manitoba Theater oh, Center. Yes. Yes. <laughs> There's uh, a crown on top of the theater. Just, nice. just yeah. given that designation, they are between 50 and 60 years old mm. now. And they were kind of a big brother for us early on, you know, and we did shows together, uh, co-productions. Yeah. Um, and, and they have just completed their first large endowment. Just in the last five or six years have they gotten a fairly large amount of money, uh, gotten their community, probably the larger Canadian community too, to contribute to that sort of thing. It took them that long. So 20 years feels like a long time, but you know, sometimes you gotta be, you gotta realize how long it actually takes for these things to take hold. To become an institution, yeah. right, maybe in right, the community. Right, <coughs> right. With, with the, the good associated with that, you know. Yeah, a lot of goodwill yeah. that's yes. on the books, right? Yes, and history. And, you know, and, and, and uh, the, longer, the longer you go with a certain amount of success, you know, the more value there is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Not just in terms of, well, let's keep it surviving, but no, let's Thrive. move to another level. You yeah. know, let's move it up, step up. Uh, it takes a while. Yeah. So what is the next, I don't want to pick 20 years, but let's say the next foreseeable future, the new, the next horizon, what does it look like for you? We're, uh, we have a fantastic board. I'm led by Diane Goldenring right now. And what we are looking at is uh, trying to do the things for both the building and the organization that ensure that it is here for so the sustainability. next generation. Financial sustainability and also uh, sustainability in terms of just uh, the building and the space. So, um, for example, in this last year, because we are in this old historic building, we've had issues related to roof and electric and of course. plumbing. And so probably we will be embarking on a campaign to a holistic campaign to uh, that we're going to call a capital and comprehensive campaign that will um, look at the building needs and address those, make sure it's accessible. Uh, because this was an old church, it was grandfathered in and it doesn't have accessible restrooms, which is the when we do surveys, the single biggest reason that subscribers, you know, don't come back because they have to go down a long flight of stairs. So in this next year, we're going to and bark on an effort to make sure that the building is fully accessible and, um, you know, create an innovation fund for the arts so we can continue to do surprising, innovative, groundbreaking work. And also to um, not, we probably won't get to an endowment, but to have a six-month reserve to pay off the building loan, those some of those things that will just reduce the annual operating. business stuff. Yes, I know. It's probably not as interesting to talk about. but No, th this audience, actually, we care about that stuff because okay. that's, you know, there's no money, no mission. Right. You know, right. you've got to. Yeah, I, I, I knew another artistic director back in Philadelphia. He's no longer with us. I uh, used to say the, the budget is the mission. Right. Uh, what else? Um, so, you know, I mean, what else can it possibly be? Right. Because yeah. you, and, and as th there's that purist as the artist, so I don't want to deal with the money. Like, well, <laughs> guess what? You got you to gotta go home and pay your rent and your mortgage and you got to feed yeah, and you got to have a car. You have to do all that. And that's it. There's just a sensibility <coughs> around that. Right. How do people, 
uh, find out about you and uh, subscribe and come to a new show? Uh, they can uh, call the box office at 805-667-2900. Okay. Um, request information uh, over the internet or through the mail. Or we have what's a your website? website? Yeah, a Rubicon Theater, Theater RE. So rubicontheater.org. Got it. So people who, again, they listen from all over, but if you're coming to, if you're coming to the region, coming to the 805, mm-hmm. um, see if there's a... Do you, you produce uh, uh, eight months out of the year? or We produce year-round. In the summer, we do focus more on the youth productions. Right, right. That's but right. the professional productions are nine months of the year. Okay, great. So there's yeah. always something to see. Yes. There's always something going on. Yes, and besides the main stage series of dramas, comedies, and musicals, we also have a Broadway cabaret series with um, really talented artists, from mostly from New York, coming and doing cabaret performances, too. Oh, so I, I, I look lot. forward to coming and visiting. Oh, yes, nice. please yeah. do. So this at this point in the show, my listener knows that um, we leave it to you to give us a title for this wonderful conversation we've had. Mm. So you're both writers and theater people. You could give us what a great title for this conversation. Uh, crossing the Rubicon. <laughs> okay. Uh, the little theater that could. Uh. Push, push and pull. <laughs> I say that because it's between, you know, the art and the and the commerce, you know. Uh, there's one funny story that I uh, I went to Paris and I went to the uh, Comédie Française, which is 150 years old or whatever, one of the most famous theaters in the world. They didn't have a show on, but Gérard Depardieu had just done uh, Cyrano there. So I'm, uh, my, you know, sure, I'm, of course, uh, agog. And there was a gift shop, and I bought a little thing, and I brought it back to a board meeting. This is like six or seven years in, and I showed it to them, and I said, um, "Wouldn't it be great if, if you know, this, you know, we could become something like that, you know, 150 years from now?" And somebody said, "Yeah, yeah. How do we make payroll?" <laughs> <laughs> I love that. There's our quote. How do we make payroll? Oh, no. You guys, thank you so much. I thank really you. appreciate. Um, I'm going to shout out to Greg because I know he listens uh, all the, every week. Thank you, Greg. Uh, to um, introducing us to you. Thank and you. I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Greg, there's another shout out for you. And our podcasting partner, Pull String Press. If you're interested in partnering with our podcast, Drop us a note to partner at 805connect.com. And Patrick, yeah, how could the listener who's stayed to the very end help us? <laughs> stayed to the very end. It's, it's, it's the best part. We're in their ears. It's not I like know. they you know, they didn't have to stay anywhere. <laughs> They've probably been moving the whole time. Uh, rate, rate, review. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Uh, give us uh, those heads up. And also you know, reach out and grab somebody else's cell phone and uh, get them subscribed to the show. That's the best way for them to uh, pull the show into their, uh, their collection every week uh, because that's what we're doing. We're putting out shows regularly. So uh, get, get somebody you know out there that needs some good information, and this is the show for them. Perfect. I love that. I would love to hear from you as well. Um, our show, it's 100% listener-generated, so we get great ideas. Uh, for guests and areas of the ecosystem uh, that is of interest, and we never know what lens we're going to be looking through. So if you've got an idea, drop me a line, mark at 805connect.com. Thank you in advance. I appreciate it. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.